Hey lads and lassies, this is Rish Outfield. And the Rish Outcast is upon us once again. I had intended this to be a podcast that dares not speak its name. You know, the more formal, sitting down kind of podcast that I do, where I focus only on the subject at hand, maybe I prepare some notes, but I ended up with an hour-long commute today, or an hour-long drive, and I thought, well, I've got my recorder, I might as well get it done. So unfortunately, you're going to have to put up with this, this kind of sound quality and the distracted host of a Rish Outcast. I'll try not be, to be too bad. I'm going to put the cruise control on right now so I can focus at least 50% on talking to you. That also may mean you will hear screaming breaks and a loud crash at some point. Spoiler alert. Hmm. Anyhow, today I'm going to present to you a story called Occurrence in Hall B. And I talked about the genesis for this story in a recent episode. I, gosh, I wish I knew the name of that episode. Anyhow, I was given a prompt for a broken mirror story, and the prompt went like this. One by one, all the lights in the hall went out, except one. Now that might not be exactly right. I'll put the prompt in the show notes, just in case I got it wrong. But that was the assignment, and it was, a, it was given out about a month ago, about a month and a half ago. And I did an episode about trying to come up with an idea for it, and I came up with one. And it was really similar to something that I had done before. And I thought, well, I could do that, or I could force myself to come up with a new one. And uh, I had that discussion. The mental gymnastics happened in that episode. And ultimately I decided, okay, I'm gonna try a little harder. I'm gonna come up with something else. And this is what I came up with. Take a listen. Occurrence in Hall B by Rish Outfield. Duncan was vacuuming the hall listening to music on his iPod, the only person left on this side of the building. He was in Hall B of Edward Wood Junior Community College, having already windexed the glass doors, wiped down the benches, and emptied every single garbage can. He only worked a couple of hours every night, but it was enough to make ends meet while he finished up his general ed classes during the day. In the middle of a Walk the Moon song, Duncan thought he heard someone speaking. He stopped, switching off the vacuum cleaner. He took out his earbuds, and only silence greeted him there in the hall. No one else was around. Regardless, directly above him, the bank of fluorescent lights switched off. And then the one after that. And the one after that, leaving him in the dark. The light at the end of the hall flickered and then stayed on. The hell? Duncan muttered. 
Maybe the power had gone out. But no, the light right at the end of Hall B was still shining, though it did him little good. Maybe a fuse had blown, and it was just this part of the building. Testing that theory, he used his foot to press the on button on the vacuum, and it whirred to life. So it wasn't that. Not just anybody could turn off the overhead lights. You had to be someone with a key, like administrators or janitors. Maybe it was Chad Spatola pranking him. Chad was the other night janitor, his supervisor, and Duncan would have bet next semester's tuition the man was born without a sense of humor. But you never know. Suddenly, Duncan had this feeling, a certainty he was not alone there in the dark hall. A bit of light was coming through the windows from the street lamps outside, but it wasn't enough to know for sure. Duncan walked down the hall in darkness, aware that somebody, hopefully Chad, hopefully only Chad, could be waiting for him in the shadows. Waiting to scare him, or maybe waiting to. Hello? he said to the night. His voice actually echoed just a bit off the ceiling. He got to the end of the hall, removed his key ring, and stuck it in the slot on the wall. Once the key was in, he flipped the toggle, and the lights flickered back to life all around him. He removed the key and turned angrily to walk down the hall again. There was somebody standing there, beside his vacuum cleaner. It was a girl, student-aged, wearing a neon-green winter coat. There was something wrong with her, something he couldn't quite place from where he stood. Hey, Duncan began, are you all right? He was trying to ask what she was doing there, but that wasn't how it came out. She didn't answer. She was looking his way, but again he got the impression of wrongness coming from her. She had dirty blonde hair, done up in pigtails, as though she were much younger than someone going to community college. She was pretty enough, but too thin, with the sunken eyes of somebody who spent several nights cramming for exams. Or maybe she was sick, since there seemed to be brown marks along the girl's neck. He walked closer, and saw that her mouth was moving, forming words, but he couldn't hear them. Deaf, then? Hey, he said again, hoping she could read lips. As Duncan neared her, he discovered two things. One, that the girl didn't appear to be entirely there, that he could see the wall and floor through her body, like a double exposure in an old photo. And two, well, who cared what the second thing was when confronted by a real-life ghost? She gestured with her hands, still talking silently. She motioned with both hands to put something up to her ears. No, his ears. She was signaling him to put his earbuds in again. He did so. Can you hear me now? She asked, and he could hear her as though she were whispering in his ears. He realized he had heard that voice before, 
while vacuuming. Yes, he said, and then sputtered. Holy shit, are you a ghost? I... I... She broke eye contact. A look of melancholy came over her pretty face. Finally, her shoulders slumped. I am. I am. Sometimes I forget, I forget that part. part. Sorry, Sorry if I scared, I scared you. you. With the lights. I didn't, I didn't realize, realize you could hear me until, until you stopped. stopped. It's, it's nice, nice to be able, able to, to talk, talk to someone. Duncan understood that, and he was only alone between the hours of nine and eleven. Who are you? Were you a, a student here? I am. Or, 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 or I was. I don't know how long it's been. He looked at her winter coat. It hadn't been cold enough to wear something like that in several months. It's the end of September. Nearly October. Like the 27th or something. I thought it was January, she said, and her eyes swam with tears. He nodded, studying her face. She seemed like just another student. Maybe a bit short. But except for the fact that she was transparent, she didn't look like a ghost to him. Just tired and sad. What year? She told him. That was long past. It would be two years in just a couple of months. And you haunt the school. I walk the halls sometimes at night. It always seems to be the same time. Usually, Hall B is empty. Yeah, I got here late today. I was doing homework and I fell asleep. He felt a little embarrassed about it, but she couldn't care that he was late. In fact, Chad shouldn't have cared, since the trashes still got emptied and the windows scrubbed, just an hour or two later than normal. Have you... Have you seen me before? he asked. No. I can't, I can't go, go farther, farther than the end of the, the hall, where you, you turn, turn the lights, lights on. on. I'm, I'm stuck. Stuck. Like in a scary story. What happened to you? He started to say, but she interrupted him. I was, I was murdered, murdered by, by a guy I didn't know. He choked me. Duncan nodded, but couldn't say anything to that. It explained the marks, though. She went on. He was tall and strong, and maybe I knew him from a class, but I didn't know his name. I don't like to think about that. Murdered, he whispered. I see him around sometimes, she said, and her eyes darted up and down the hall. Duncan would even describe her expression as haunted. He's here now. Duncan actually whirled around, certain some stranger would be creeping up on him. But no, he was alone. With the ghost. He's here now. It's almost midnight. What is he doing? She shrugged. I, I, I don't... don't... I, can't I can't stay much, much longer... It hurts to be here this much. Duncan didn't understand. It hurts? Why does it... 
the ghost faded away, leaving only the vacuum cleaner and the long extension cord and Duncan. Bye, he said, realizing he didn't even know her name. I'm still here, her voice spoke in his ears. I just can't be visible anymore. What's your name? he asked. I'm Melanie. So, Melanie, the guy that killed you, is he a teacher here? A student? You're sure he's here now? Uh-huh. I think he was a student. But if it's been a year... Duncan made sure he had his phone. Look, tell me where to find this guy, and I'll call the police on him. Or, I don't know, beat him up or something. I don't know where he is. Sometimes I feel far away. Sometimes I feel like I'm really here, not a ghost at all. You know? Nope. Okay, listen, there's the film appreciation class or group or whatever here tonight. They're on campus watching a movie. Other than that, there shouldn't be anybody else here. All right. Why don't we go over and see them, and you tell me if you see the guy. What guy? The killer. Your killer. Oh, yes. Sorry. I fade away sometimes. Yeah, I got that. Duncan left the vacuum where it was and walked back to the end of Hall B, where it turned into the alcove with bathrooms and the janitor's closet and vending machines. He started toward the A hall when the lights above him flickered once again. Stop, she said in his ears. You see him? No, I can't walk anymore. He turned. She was standing there, right by the doors to where the janitors kept their equipment, and the stairs to the boiler. You're... you're stuck. She nodded, then vanished once again. Through the earbuds, she said, I can't go further. I don't know why. The auditorium's just right there, like twenty feet away. You can't... I'll stand here. You go over there and look for him. It sounded logical, but it was a scary thing to do, to go looking for a murderer. Still, he was going to look, even if it was hard. Duncan walked a few more steps and froze when he heard applause from the end of the alcove. He stood there, tense, feeling his heart beating hard through his EWJ staff T-shirt. At the head of A Hall, a pair of double doors opened and the sound of talking and laughter spilled out before the students began to leave the auditorium. According to the announcement by the door, they had just watched something called Cinema Paradiso. Several film students, and the occasional girlfriend, came out, chatting about their viewing experience or whatever else was on their mind. Only one of them even looked at him, a skinny boy with glasses who looked as short as Melanie the Ghost. They walked down to the drinking fountain, or out into the night. "'You see him?' Duncan whispered. "'No,' the ghost said in his earbuds. There weren't many more after that. As the last group left the auditorium, he asked, "'Anyone?' The girl said nothing. Duncan walked to the double doors and looked into the auditorium. 
all but the film teacher and three or four students, obviously the suck-ups, had left. One of them? Duncan whispered. No. The teacher looked up. He was a bald man, just past middle age. Excuse me, did you say something? Me? No, I, 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 I was just checking to see if I'd have to vacuum in here. Probably be a good idea. Thanks. Duncan ducked back into the hall again, glancing over his shoulder, as if the ghost would be there. I don't think it's them, she admitted. I was sure he was here, but I can't remember. I... Her voice hitched, trying not to weep. What? What if I never remember? What if I wander the halls forever, lost and confused, stuck here like a ghost? He didn't have the heart to remind her that she was already a ghost. Nobody else is in there. You're sure he's here? I don't know anymore. Sorry. Duncan sighed and walked back to the end of a hall. Before he got there, he saw a candy wrapper, Smarties, and scooped it off the carpet. None of them, then? He asked, to where he assumed the ghost was standing. The other guys all left. But he's still here, he heard her say. He walked through the alcove, tossing the wrapper in the trash, still empty from an hour before, kind of wishing Melanie would show herself again. It might have been irrational or even morbid, but he felt alive having this experience and this task placed before him. He didn't dare tell the ghost that, since using the word alive might have been insensitive. Was there political correctness when it came to the dead? All right, he began, and went around the corner to Hall B again. He didn't finish his thought. Chad Spatola was standing farther down the way, right by the vacuum cleaner. He was typing something into his phone. Duncan yanked the earbuds out and called across the hall. Hey! His supervisor turned, a scowl visible on his face even from that distance. Duncan, what the what is going on? Ew. Duncan hated it when the man said that. Nobody outside of cartoons said what the what. He closed the gap between them. I had a... You just left the vacuum here, while you went off somewhere. Well, I... The equipment is our responsibility, mine and yours. He had only left it for a minute. And who on earth would steal a beat-up industrial vacuum cleaner? I know that. It shouldn't have been that big a deal. But Duncan had already irritated the man by showing up so late tonight. The, the lights were flickering, right above me. Somebody was playing with them. Playing with the breaker, you mean? And I saw a girl. Chad's expression had not lightened up. Like Duncan had suspected before, there was absolutely no humor in him. Did you now? Yeah, she was down the hall, he gestured behind him. I went to talk to her, and she disappeared. Believe it or not, Chad's face got more unpleasant, the line of irritation growing on his head until it was as deep as a middle school librarian's, a seventy-year-old librarian's. 
She disappeared? What, like a ghost? It didn't occur to Duncan to lie. Exactly. I know it sounds crazy, but... And just like that, the irritation vanished. Chad nodded. No, I... I saw something like that once myself. What did the girl look like? I'm pretty sure she was just playing a trick on me. I'm not so sure, Chad Spatola whispered. What did she look like? Short and skinny. Pigtails. Dark blonde. She had a jacket on. Jacket? Like a, a letterman jacket? Like a, a winter coat, I mean. And then Chad shivered. Obviously, he was thinking of the same person. I think we both saw the same ghost, Chad, Duncan said, and the fact that they had shared this singular experience made him feel closer to him, like maybe they could be friends instead of whatever they currently were. But Chad surprised him again. He did this thing with his mouth, as though he'd tasted something salty, and was pleasurelessly swallowing it down. I don't think so. There's no such thing as ghosts. Look, I've got to go. Finish up the hall, then get over to Hall A and do that one. Then you can go home. I've still got the auditorium. There were some students watching a movie. Don't worry about it, Jed said. Just get the floor done as fast as you can, and be on time tomorrow. Chad walked off without another word. Duncan watched him go, not sure what that was all about, but spooked by it nonetheless. He went back to the vacuum cleaner, about to turn it back on. He stuck the earbuds in, out of habit. Him! It was him! The ghost screamed in his ears. Duncan winced from the sound, sure Chad would be able to hear it all the way over at the turn to the alcove. But he just went on his way around the corner, leaving Duncan and the ghost alone. She shouted again. Shh, Duncan said. Him? Uh, Chad Spatola? I don't know his name, but he was the one. He choked me. He, he... Okay, calm down, Duncan said aware of how ludicrous it was to say. Still, the sound of her wailing disturbed him, like she was a very different kind of ghost. What do we do? He's, He's going into the janitor's room. Come on! But he'll see me, he said weakly. He won't see me, the ghost insisted. And Duncan left the vacuum once again. He crossed to the end of the hall, round the corner and to the door to the janitor's closet. He didn't quite dare open the door. He's in here, she said in his ears. He got something from his locker, a box. Now he's going to the stairs. Duncan realized where Chad was going before the ghost did, and probably why. The stairs led to the boiler, an easy place to destroy evidence. Duncan crossed through the supply room, and paused at the stairs. If Chad Spatola had killed a young co-ed, he might not think twice about killing a part-time janitor. Hurry, please, the ghost called in his ears, and Duncan grabbed the first thing he could find he could use as a weapon, a spare metal hydraulic rod for one of the outside doors. 
Before he got to the basement level, he heard the heavy iron door opening, the sound of someone opening the furnace to put something inside. He reached the bottom of the steps and saw Chad tossing a cardboard box. And then the lights flickered once again. It went black in the boiler room, except for the orange light of the fire inside the furnace. What the what? he heard Chad say. And then something moved in the fire. A scream could be heard, not through the headphones anymore, but still faint and far away. A girl's scream. A neon green winter coat rose up out of the flames, seemingly on its own, and outstretched its arms. Chad recoiled and made the pitiful sound of a terrified toddler. Like a specter, the dead girl's coat moved through the air and out the furnace door, then leapt on Chad's patola, like it held an angry human being. The coat was partially on fire. Chad's scream changed, became much louder, much more that of pain than of fear. The flames spread to his own clothes, and he dropped to the boiler room floor, writhing. Immediately, Duncan ran the rest of the way into the room, stomping at the fire on Chad's back and pants. Chad continued to shriek, even as the flames were extinguished, and Duncan used his foot to pull the green coat off of his supervisor. The lights above them flickered on once again, and Duncan's gaze went to the boiler. The cardboard box was now completely covered in flames, the sides shriveling, revealing something within. A small, severed human hand. Duncan wondered if he should try to get it out of the fire somehow, to preserve the evidence, like they said on the cop shows. But Melanie spoke once again, through his earbuds, but very, very quiet now. That's all that's left of me. When it burns, maybe I'll be free. Well, all the more reason to retrieve it then. He remembered the hydraulic he had brought down with them, and figured he might be able to use it to knock the hand out of the furnace before it... But the hand moved on its own, as the coat had, crawling like the one on Adam's family, out the door and onto the floor, where it stopped as if deciding what to do next. Would it strangle Chad Spatola? Could it do that? That would be poetic irony, like they said in English class, wouldn't it? The hand went motionless. Any life that had been inside it was gone now. Call the police, the ghost said. Suddenly, a hand grabbed Duncan's ankle, and it was his turn to let out a scream. Chad was writhing on the floor, nasty burns on his hands and neck. Emma! He managed to moan. He needed serious help here. I'll call the police, Duncan said to both of them. He got out his phone and dialed, taking out his earbuds. For a moment, Melanie the ghost appeared once again, still wearing an unburned winter coat. Chad cringed away from her, kicking and whimpering. She ignored him, looking up at Duncan instead. They said I can go now, she said. Who? Duncan asked. I never got your name, the ghost told him. On the phone, a male voice said, 911, what's your emergency? 
Duncan, he said. And it was the only time he saw the ghost smile. The end. Okay, so that was my story. And sadly, it's not much more original, not much more non-derivative, if that's a word, than the first idea I came up with, which was uh, guys in the dorms, he's forced to stay over the Christmas holidays, maybe it's Thanksgiving holidays, because it was Thanksgiving time when I was coming up with it. There's a knock on the door, uh, nobody's there when he goes out into the hall, and the lights all start to turn off except for one, and his girlfriend is standing there and he goes and he hooks up with the girlfriend it's real nice and then I think he hears his telephone ring in the other room he goes in there he checks his voicemail and it's the bad news that his girlfriend died that morning or the night before in a car accident going home for the holidays so what was it he just encountered I'm sorry if I wasted your time recapping that, because I know I did in the last episode. It was very similar to a couple of stories that I'd written. So I, I put that away, and I tried to come up with something else. And I probably already told you this part, too. If so, feel free to cut it out. I was driving past the local community college. Now, it's now a university, but when I went to it, it was a community college. It became a state college right before I finished going there. Now it's a university. But my friend Jeff's youngest son works there as a janitor, as a night janitor. His name is Duncan. So I thought, what if it's about Duncan? What if Duncan is doing something as a night janitor? Cleaning the windows or vacuuming and then the lights go out. And so I came up with this story and sat down and wrote it because there was no time for there was no time for equivocation there was no time for rewrites nothing it was due and then right as i was about to finish it i i think i had gotten to the point where where he puts the earbuds back in and the ghost says that's him it's him when i found out that the deadline had been extended three weeks three whole weeks which is probably more than I had spent thinking about it, rethinking about it, and writing it. So, naturally, I put it away until yesterday, right before the deadline. The deadline is tomorrow. I sent it in today, uh, right before I got in the car. And what I did last night was I read it aloud so that I could catch any mistakes or typos one thing I found is that I would write vacuum with two C's every single time. And there's only one C in vacuum. And there were a couple other parts where uh, it wasn't clear who was talking, whether it was the ghost or whether it was Duncan, and a couple parts where it was still in present tense. So it was good that I had that chance to redo it, that I was given the three weeks. I mean, it's not going to make a, gr a bad story great, but it's going to make a good story better or a mediocre story better or okay any story better when you have a chance to read it aloud see how things sound and you know make a couple of little changes and while I 
I'm not thrilled with the story. I could say, do you want me to say it? Do you like it when I say it? Or do you like it when I don't say it? Okay, I won't say it this time. But I really like the premise of a ghost, a lost soul who needs somebody alive to help them achieve peace, solve their murder, lay their bones to rest. Um, sometimes just as, as simple as uh, be a friend to them, you know, make them less lonely. I love the, that kind of stuff with ghosts. And I've written about him before. I wrote a story called Beware Hitchhiking Ghosts years ago, and I've still never published it. And I don't exactly know why. It's one of those where in the back of my mind, I'm like, ah, I, I, it just needs a little bit more work and then it's going to be done. But I don't work on it. I just know that it needs a little bit more work. <sighs> don't grow up to be like me, kids. Sometimes it's better to just publish it. And if you want to go back to it years in the future, there's no law that says you can't do it. I mean, unless you've sold the story to some publisher and they own it and you can't touch it. But I've found that most writers, real writers, professional writers, feel tempted to revise something that they've written in the past at some point. And most of them, the rights revert to them or they get enough power where they can make changes or make demands and the thing with self-publishing is you can always fix something you can always do it again the audio thing is hard if people discover flaws or mistakes or plot holes um, in an audiobook audible makes it really difficult to revise that but it's not impossible if it's important enough to you to do it you can do it Anyhow, I noticed a couple of things that I wasn't thrilled with last night, and I was able to sort of, if not fix them, improve them. And yeah, I sort of paused at the very end because I had thought, wouldn't it be neat if the hand, the severed hand that the killer kept as a trophy, murdered him, if it strangled him like she had been strangled. And I was like, wow, that's, I really like that. I still like it, but ultimately I think I wanted Melanie, the ghost, to be more of a tragic character, of a sad character rather than a being of vengeance. And so I just left it the way it was. And yes, uh, like I said, the this story bears not a striking resemblance, but quite a resemblance to beware hitchhiking ghosts where a guy meets the ghostly hitchhiker on a bridge driving home from work. He gives her a ride, you know, and discovers that she was a ghost. And then he goes back to the bridge a couple nights later, hoping that he will encounter the ghost again. And he does. And so it's kind of a love story between a loser guy like Richelle Field. Sad but true. And a, a ghost. This isn't really that story, but, you know, it has enough in common with it. I wrote one years and years ago about... Um, have you heard the, the legend of La Llorona, the weeping woman in Spanish folklore? Well, somebody told me the story of that, 
And I really liked it, and I wrote my version of it with, like, you know, dirty gringos encountering a Hispanic crying ghost. And yeah, it's just the idea of something that's scary, but also sad, also pathetic, also lonely. Um, I like that. I like the, the aspect of that. I, I think Karloff brought a great deal of that to his Frankenstein's monster character. Uh, Frankenstein's monster is not even remotely scary to me. But it's hard to put my mind into a 1931 mindset and determine whether that would be scary. I, he's, there is a sadness to him, to just the way that Karloff's face is shaped. Like if you see the way that Lon Chaney portrayed Quasimodo or the Phantom of the Opera, I mean, nobody has seen him as the vampire in uh, London after midnight. But those are, are, are legitimately frightening, terrifying looking characters. And even though the Phantom is a sympathetic bad guy, at least in the, the 20s version of the Phantom of the Opera, he's so frightening looking that I can understand audiences being afraid. And yeah, Melanie, the ghost, is not even, she's not close to being scary, except for the fact that, you know, you can see through her. And that was a choice that I made. I just wanted her to be sad. I wanted her to be a victim. That, you know, there's, I think there's room for all sorts of ghosts. Scary ghosts and friendly ghosts and tragic ghosts and vengeful ghosts and confusing ghosts. I remember uh, I went and saw the remake of The Haunting of Hill House in 1999 with my friend Ian. And I thought it was a pretty good movie, but he did not. And he said, you know where that movie went wrong? The Friendly Ghosts. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I, I can understand that. And he said, no movie should ever have friendly, helpful ghosts. And I mean, he said it with a lot of disdain and a lot of authority. And I guess, you know, that's how somebody with a strong opinion should be. But I was never able to forget that. In fact, I never went back and saw The Haunting again, like when it hit video or whatever, despite having liked it because of what Ian said. And, and, and you know, he's right in so much as the movie would have been so much scarier had the ghosts not been helpful, had they not been, gosh, I keep using the word friendly. And you know, that conjures a certain image of a certain ghost. But there's something to be said for not knowing a ghost's intentions, not knowing a ghost's motivations or its mindset. There, there was that movie just a, a couple of years ago called Mama. And it essentially, if you've seen it, you know uh, what, it, what I'm talking about. But if you haven't seen it, it's about two children who, after a car accident, are raised in the woods by a ghost. And it was terrifying. It was really scary. One of those flicks where I had to hold my breath during some of it because I was afraid. 
Uh, and then the backstory comes out and you find out what the ghost wants and why it is the way that it is. And from that point on, the movie was no longer scary. I think I've talked about this before because it's the perfect example. It's a, I mean, it's a textbook example that I will be able to go to again and again and again and again. Because once you understood that she had been a human woman and awfulness had happened to her and that was why she is the way she is, she was no longer scary. She was sad. She was pathetic. She was sympathetic. And there's that. Um, give me a moment and I will... You know what? No. I think that's all we're going to talk about on this episode. I don't think uh, occurrence in Hall B is a remarkable piece of work, anything like that. A lot of times these contest stories, by their definition are rushed and less thought out less unless it's the calling who has the time to write something massive and rewrite it and all etc etc for for a contest so it is what it is i'm glad that i got to enter the contest i'm glad that i got to write another story so far i've entered every single one of them and i fully intend to keep doing it just because it's another story under my belt and it's another story you got to hear. I think you've gotten to hear three of them now. So thank you for listening. I appreciate the listeners that I have. Uh, I appreciate the listeners I don't have less, but uh, there's still appreciation. This has been Rish Outfield. And go your way and sin no more. Wait. This has been Rish Outfield, and may all your occurrences... Be white. Oh, I was going to mention that I, I named the story after occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, but I forgot, so I guess I won't. Bye! The music in this episode was provided by Kevin McLeod, the podcaster's friend. This podcast, amazingly enough, comes attached to a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no-derivatives 3.0 license. It's free to listen to, copy, share, and delete, especially that last one. But you cannot sell it or make claims on it yourself. However, there is a Patreon fund set up for this show, wherein you can donate a dollar an episode and up to keep it going. Your Patreon pledge could very well save and who's going to come to save you, Junior? So that you could... Uh, I'm trying to come up with a name for it right now, something that's really solid. What if I called it the light at the end of the hall? Maybe I, I called my episode Musings on the Light at the End of the Hall. I've never retroactively named an episode before, and so we'll see if this works. If recently there was an episode called Musings on the Light at the End of the Hall, then you know that it worked. Frankenstein's monster, as Karloff played him, is not even remotely scary.
but you know, I, I, I can't put myself in the shoes of, shoot, I missed my exit. 